This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, January 29th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. As Stephen Breyer prepares to depart from the Supreme Court, how balanced is the judiciary in terms of experience actively supporting government or defending people against it? Clark Neely is Senior Vice President for Legal Studies at the Cato Institute. We discussed why so many judges are former prosecutors and why it matters for justice that there are more skeptics on the high court. What do we know about the makeup of the judiciary uh, in the United States today in terms of like who they've represented, what their backgrounds are, and where uh, you know some unconscious biases might lie? Well, I think the most notable thing about the judiciary and the backgrounds of judges, contrary to a lot of people think they talk about, oh, they went all went to Ivy League schools or they all work for big firms or whatever, the most significant uh, professional facet of, of judges in terms of what they used to do is that a wildly disproportionate number of judges used to be prosecutors or other courtroom advocates for government. How do we get that? Because I can imagine uh, political ads somebody running for judge and they said, oh, this guy had the audacity to defend criminals in court. If you're a defense attorney and, you know, people who don't follow uh, judicial races or understand what defense attorneys are supposed to do uh, might be be swayed by that. Well, I think that's right. I think that, that you know, there's a sort of sense that people who uh, were were criminal defense attorneys, whether public defenders or otherwise, made a decision um, to choose a side in the criminal justice system um, that is, you know, the accused. And there's sort of this presumption, which perhaps there should not be, that uh, their clients are guilty and, you know, that criminal defense attorneys essentially exist and their primary job is to help people evade responsibility for the things they've done. And that's, a, I think, a very unfortunate way to look at it because the primary job of a criminal defense attorney in our system is to ensure that the government does not take any shortcuts. It's to ensure that the procedures that are there to protect all of us, whether you are guilty or you are innocent, um, are obeyed and that everybody gets a fair shake. Now, as to the Supreme Court, uh, what's the background of, of these justices with respect to working for the prosecution versus defense versus law professor? Yeah. So eight out of nine Supreme Court justices, sitting Supreme Court justices, um, have represented the government in court. This is wildly different than sort of if you looked at all like all practicing lawyers in the country having a background where you at one time represented the government in court whether as a prosecutor or some other kind of lawyer that's an infinitesimally small number or percentage of lawyers but when you look at the supreme court it's 8 out of 9 justices have represented the government in court and only one amy coney barrett uh, has has never done that in her prior professional experience all right. I've seen a lot of people opining online that the next justice on the U.S. Supreme Court should be a public defender or have been a public defender. What do you think of that? I don't necessarily think that the person needs to have been a public defender per se, but I absolutely think that the Supreme Court would be a better institution if it had a larger number of people who had chosen to and had in fact worked as advocates for individuals against the government. That could be a public defender, could be another kind of criminal defense lawyer, or it could be a public interest lawyer like the kind that I used to be, where you were suing the government 
in court. What I think matters the most is that the person come from a background where they were adverse to the government in court, and their day-to-day orientation as a lawyer was being skeptical of things that the government does, of the assertions that the government makes, the legal arguments that they make in court, and have developed a mindset of challenging that. Right. I mean, the Constitution itself is skeptical of government, right? It it make, would make sense that lawyers uh, who want to sit on the bench would want to be skeptical of government and uh, in some ways celebrate the limits that uh, the Constitution places on government. Well, I think that's right. I think that the the Constitution um, is very clearly designed um, to impose significant limits on government. That wasn't done by accident. Um, Consult kind of any political philosopher in our tradition, and and they will warn you in one way or another that the government um, uh, needs to be kept on a short leash and will frequently try to aggrandize its own powers. But I will say this. I think it's important not to sort of um, fetishize the, you know, the, the the question of was this person a public defender or, you know, did they work for the ACLU or whatever. Instead, I think what's important is to understand that the judiciary is a kind of intellectual ecosystem. And just like any ecosystem, you want to be really, really careful about allowing it to become wildly imbalanced in some way where most of the voices in any given case, will be coming from a background of of people who used to be prosecutors, and almost no voices will be coming from the the background of people who used to represent criminal defendants. That's just a bad uh, mix or a bad environment, no matter what the the kind of endeavor it is. Um, And and that's, that's unfortunately, particularly in our federal judiciary, that is absolutely the intellectual ecosystem of the federal judiciary is one that is wildly imbalanced in favor of people who used to represent the government against individuals in court. And that's not a good idea. When lawyers are talking about hearings, they will refer to hearings that are adversarial uh, or ex parte. And uh, that is something that, that lawyers make note of all the time. That is, are there dissenting voices who have an, a strong incentive to dissent? Are those voices in the room? Well, right. And, and you know, you could think of it in this kind of Rawlsian veil of ignorance way, right? If you if all you knew was that you were going to be um, involved in a court case where the government was squaring off against an individual, whether it's a criminal prosecution or a, a civil case of some kind, um, and you didn't know which side you were going to be on, but you did get to decide, well, let's say you're going to be in front of a three-judge appellate court panel. Would you rather have one that's all the judges are drawn, drawn from one kind of professional experience, or would you rather have a mixture where they come from, you know, some one judge represented the government, another judge represented, you know, individuals. And uh, I, it just seems to me that we all understand kind of intuitively, of course, you'd rather, if you didn't know which side of that dispute you were going to be on, you would rather have a panel that represents a mixture of backgrounds. Are there any names that pass muster that you think would pass muster with this White House and a currently narrowly democratically controlled Senate, uh, people who have that kind of experience and and in their public work make it clear that they are skeptical toward the government? Yes. I mean, I think that the name that most people are talking about as a front runner right now is uh, Judge Katenji Brown-Jackson on the D.C. Circuit. She has a stellar uh, track record, um, uh, Harvard uh, undergrad, Harvard Law School. She was an appellate public defender for a period of time. She's been on the Sentencing Commission. Um, and she certainly strikes me as the kind of judge that would be um, a, a very desirable uh, counterbalance to someone like a uh, uh, Samuel Alito, 
who I think has many fine qualities, but it was, you know, for most of his professional career, a prosecutor's prosecutor. And the idea that we shouldn't want to, um, you know, sort of counterbalance that with somebody with a different background, I think is, um, is, is unfortunate. I think the court would be a better institution for having more professional diversity. You were heartened a bit to hear the Biden administration say they wanted a broader range of the kind of lawyer to serve on federal courts. Yes. And uh, my concern when the Biden administration uh, said that they were going to try to um, you know, increase the professional diversity of the, of the federal courts was that they were just saying it. They weren't going to walk the walk. And to my very pleasant surprise, in fact, they have walked the walk and and uh, have nominated a much more professionally diverse array of uh, federal judges than any administration that I'm familiar with before, and certainly more so than the Trump administration, which actually made the imbalance between prosecutors and non-prosecutors worse. Um, Biden administration has been making it much better. And I think there's reason to uh, hope and believe that that, um, that spirit of commitment to professional diversity will translate into uh, the, the, the Supreme Court um, nomination for Justice Breyer's soon-to-be-vacated seat. Clark Neely is Senior Vice President for Legal Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.